I know me and Gordon are getting a lot of interest from people now asking about Bitcoin again. Um, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> you, you told them for three three thousand dollars. You told them four thousand dollars. You told them. You told them five, six, all the way up. It's now seventeen, eighteen thousand, and you start to get some texts. Right, I, I, I have had it this last couple of weeks. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your hosts, Ferris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Gordon. That's me, and I've got Ferris with me as well. Before we get started, and we're going to introduce our special guest in a moment, let's do our proof of recording to make sure that this recording is legitimate. Today is November the 22nd, 2020. The current block height, which is the block number of Bitcoin, is 658,194. And the current price of Bitcoin, Faris, is a whopping 18,572. If you're in the future and you're like, that price is really cheap or that price is ridiculously expensive, I don't know. But um, anyway, um, we had a special guest today. We've, we've had Peter McCormack on the podcast before, his second appearance from What Bitcoin Did and the Defiance podcast. I thought it was awesome, but what did you think, Ferris? I really like talking to Peter. And um, in this um, interview, we talked about... It's not an interview, it's a conversation. We talked about Bitcoin. We talked about um, the coronavirus pandemic. We talk about um, sovereign debt and the sovereign debt jubilee. And I know this might sound a bit boring to some people, but it it is fascinating to talk about macroeconomics and geopolitics because they are actually intertwined with Bitcoin. And we explain why. Why does is it important to know what's going on in the world? and how that relates to Bitcoin. And Peter's a fascinating guy to talk to about this because he's just got his finger um, on the pulse and he can explain this stuff really, really well. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And to find out what Bitcoin can fix and what Bitcoin can't fix, uh, have a listen. This is really pragmatic and we all give our opinions, but at the end of the day, we're, we're realistic about what's happening and certainly uh, doing a bit of future projection in terms of, um, as far as said, the geopolitics and the uh, great reset that's coming. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Do you want to get straight into it then, Ferris? Might as yeah, well. let's do that. No foreplay? Go into it. <laughs> Go balls deep, straight in. <laughs> okay. Um, Peter, perhaps before we start, for new listeners, how about you to give us your, your your story? And perhaps for listeners who do know about you and been following your podcast, what's something that maybe they don't know about you? Uh, well, my story is um, I'm, I used to work in advertising, worked in advertising 20 years, um, fell out of love with the industry and um, just do some changes in my life, decided to, to quit it, took a year off work. Uh, my mum got sick. I spent, spent a bit of time with her through that, discovered Bitcoin, did some trading, realized I was quite shit at it, not wasn't going to be for me, and 
pretty much three about three years ago it's like today or i think almost that i set up the podcast and so i spent most of the time podcasting about bitcoin which is basically my journey of learning uh, and it's about you know bitcoin economics politics and other issues but it's really a, i don't i kind of create the show i want to hear and then um yeah so that's me and what something people don't know about I me mean, people know i'm from bedford um i was once in a hip-hop band called the mad cowboys i was a rapper which all kind of white middle class kids did when I was a kid. Um, me and my friend Alex Farber we used to we used to go to skateboard events and rap. <laughs> used to think we we're pretty fucking cool. We weren't, obviously. Um, outside of that, I'm a single dad and spend most of my time with my kids. Cool, awesome. Uh, we don't we don't want to give you opsec away too much, but. Uh... We appreciate that. That's right. Um, do you do you hang out with other sort of? Do you go to meetups or how involved are you with Bitcoin community? Or are you just focused on podcasts? No, I used to because I used to do a lot of my um, interviews in person. I used to travel to the US quite regularly, so I go to a lot of the events, uh, the big events, and hang out with people, or I go to cities and spend a few days and catch up with people. I less go less less so here in the UK because um, when I'm here, I'm just focused on my kids. That's like where most of my time is, my kids and working. So, no, that tends to be something I do like pre-corona when we could travel. That's when I would. Uh, that's when I would do that. So, what's the first interview? Who are you getting into first after this uh, travel ban's been lifted? Oh, it's a good question. Good question. I mean, I don't know. It depends when it is, but I, I can tell you where I will go. Is I'll probably go to Texas first. So, whoever's in Texas. Yeah, to Austin. So I'll probably go and see uh, Jimmy Song or somebody and and get him back on the get him back on the show. But yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it's everything's changed so much over this lost year. I don't know what I don't know how we, what world we're going to return to even after everyone's taken the vaccines. I just I really can't predict it. It's it's really unusual. Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us again. I can't tell you how much of a privilege it is for for you to be here with us. No worries, man. I enjoyed the last time. It was good fun, man. Oh, excellent. No, we um, yeah, we have a lot in common, and we yeah, love going down the world of Bitcoin, macroeconomics, and finance. Um, I think people are starting to realize just how intertwined these things are. And I think, um, yeah, I know me and Gordon are getting a lot of interest from people now asking about Bitcoin again. Um, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> you, you told them for three, three thousand dollars. You told them four thousand dollars. You told them. You told them five, six, all the way up. It's now seventeen, eighteen thousand, and you start to get some texts, right? I, I, I have had it this last couple of weeks. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the price brings media, media brings, brings it to people's attention. One thing I'm concerned about, Peter, um, is to me, Bitcoin is the democratization of finance. It's basically an asset value that is um, available to any and all. Very simple. Don't need to join a bank. Um, it really is just opening up a non-sovereign, non-government um, asset class to a lot of people. If the price keeps skyrocketing to where we go to $200,000 per Bitcoin, a million dollars per Bitcoin, do you think that might actually scare off or make it, I don't want to make it unavailable, but could that kind of price scare off the little man who would actually benefit most from, from Bitcoin? It's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, yeah. Sadly, 
Well, sadly, it's just the way it is. Um, you know, unregulated free markets are fair in that they are fair for everyone to enter and compete. Um, they are unfair in sometimes some people. Some people maybe view them as unfair because they come in late and they feel like they've missed out. But um, it, 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 I think one of the things we're fighting with Bitcoin is that that thing by governments to try and create equality by um, by taxing us and redistributing income, but this is in some ways the fairer system. Uh, so yes, um, but then then one thing I would say is that many many people have been able to front run companies and the corporate world with Bitcoin. A lot of people have gone in way before the companies have, and there's some individuals who are now holding way more Bitcoin than companies can afford to hold. Um, it's an interesting thing. I think it becomes. It depends where Bitcoin goes, and, and I don't know what you guys think of this. Uh, I think there's two things that happen. Either Bitcoin becomes the dominant form of money and swallows up all other money, and we have hyper-Bitcoinization. That's theory one. Theory two, it is just gold 2.0, and we still have other currencies, and it's just something that sits by it. Now, with the former, that becomes a little bit tricky because you're going to have very, very large concentrations of wealth. And I don't know what that means, but somebody who got in very early on and bought, you know, I mean, maybe 100, 150, 200,000 Bitcoin. There's some people out there. We know the Winklevoss have done that. Um, they wanted 1% of Bitcoin at one point. Ha having 1% of global wealth would be a very, very strong position they'll be in. And I don't, I don't know what the repercussions are for that. If it's just gold 2.0 and it sits alongside other currencies, well, then, you know, plenty of people don't own gold and... They could, but they don't. Um, so I think it depends how it goes. Um, but what, one of the things we have to accept with Bitcoin is that it, there there are no kind of, there's no interventionism. It is uh, a, a free form of money that anyone can go and participate in as and when they want. Um, but I don't know the repercussions. I mean, it's a really good question. Like, what do you think, actually? I'd be inter interested in your opinion. So... I think what we're we're seeing now with this price rise, we are seeing hedge fund managers come in and hedge funds start buying because I've noticed in the four years that I've been in Bitcoin is you start to see this wave of new understanding. So um, Raul Powell um, wrote a piece in 2015 about Bitcoin, which um, really turned my mind as to the economic um, aspects of Bitcoin. And he got out, at, he tweeted, I sold my Bitcoin at about 3,000. And when I read his pieces to why, because I had Gordon and I was delving into the technical aspects of it, um, I could say, okay, he kind of gets Bitcoin, but he didn't quite get decentralization. And the, he misunderstood the fork, and that's why he sold his Bitcoins. So, you know, when I saw him tweet that, I, you know, shit a brick. Because <laughs> um, he was the reason I got into it economically. Um, but then I understood, okay, I, he's not quite grasping that. Now he's come around, he's grasping that, and a lot of other people are starting to grasp decentralization. Um, so there are some people out there, like Jim Rogers recently said that, okay, you know, he understands Bitcoin, he's sad that he missed out, but it's not backed by guns and government. And that's like, okay, governments can't ban Bitcoin. And this is some of the fight that we're still fighting is people don't quite get decentralization. And as you just mentioned, when with the amount of debts government are going, and this is something that we don't understand, 
sorry, most people don't understand the debt governments are going in, um, buybacks that corporations are going through. These things five, 10 years from now will be seen as just huge scams that rip people off. When they understand decentralization, this is when they'll truly appreciate Bitcoin and decentralization is something gold does not have. So I don't think we will eradicate um, sovereign currencies, but I think this will become like Gresham's Law where people will be like, what, what's happening in you know, third world countries? Sorry, lack of a better word, third world countries, Venezuela and such. Why would I want to trust my government? Look what they've done with my money. See, what, what will become really interesting in the next phase of Bitcoin, I think, is that I still struggle to explain it to my friends. I've been, for a good year, good year I've been posting regular updates on Facebook. Um, alongside my friends posting pictures of their babies, there's a, it'll be something like, I don't know, the other day I posted that the UK inflation rate hit 0.7%. <clears throat> and... It was a very short explanation of why that's bad and then the price of Bitcoin. And honestly, I've been doing it all year. The price of Bitcoin has been going up. I've been trying to explain to people. Maybe three or four people have reached out. And we're talking about a thousand friends on Facebook. Three or four have reached out and said, you know, tell me about Bitcoin. Um, a lot of people are just going to ignore what's going to happen. And then what we will see happen is that the media will start I mean, we're very close to 20,000 now. And also, isn't it interesting how we've kind of crept up to here, but it feels very solid around this price. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking at the price thinking, oh, God, this has crashed back to 6,000. I, I don't think we'll ever go into 10,000 again. I'll be surprised if we see 12,000. You know, I think we're solidly in, in the position we're in now. What will happen is once we go above 20K, it will be in the press because it's a new all-time high. And people will start getting excited about it again. What will happen, there's a couple of things that will come out of that. Some people look at it and go, oh, that's too expensive for me. I've missed out. Okay. Or some people will look at it and go, I want to learn more about that. And that's going to be the interesting thing is those people who, who want to learn more about it, who then find out, oh, God, this could go to 20K. Or, sorry, sorry, uh, 200K or 100K. So the the price is... It's both good and bad because it's number go up is like a very attractive marketing uh, idea, but it's also very off-putting for other people. I'm finding the timing of this next bull run, and I do believe we're in a secular bull run now. Um, from a charting pattern, you're yeah. looking at a really nice inverse head and shoulders um, on a weekly chart. Really, really nice setup. Um, yeah, I think we've got a solid baseline at 14,500 and then at about 12,000 as well. So really good support there. Um, what I'm finding interesting about where we are now, so 2008, 2009, Genesis block was launched, Bitcoin's released. Now governments could have, any one government at that stage could have actually you know, launched a 51% attack and easily control Bitcoin, but they were too distracted by the global financial crisis. Here we are again, Bitcoin's taking off. And we've got this pandemic that basically has unleashed what is just rampant government borrowing from future taxpayers. And we're in the same situation now. Bitcoin's taking off again. You know, they can't unleash a 51% attack on the blockchain, but they can't do much about Bitcoin now because they're so distracted by everything else that's going on pandemically. So it's a, a funny little, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting time. Um it's quite scary. Um, I did an interview with uh, Brandon Quittam the other day where we were talking about the fourth turning. 
uh, a book I haven't read. I need to I need to read, but I kind of understand the basic concepts. Um, but it does feel like we're in that fourth turning period where there is going to be some kind of major reset of the world. Uh, historically, it's, there's usually been with a war. I mean, I don't feel like we're heading to <coughs> excuse me heading to a war right now, but I do feel like we're heading to some kind of very strange reset. There's, there's a lot of tension in the air. There's a lot of anger in the air. Um, the US election, obviously, lots of weird stuff going on there. Um, we have a pandemic. We've had this Black Lives Matter movement. There's so much, so many problems in the global economy that we're just in this very, very, very strange position with it all. Um, and I expect Bitcoin is going to be a lifeboat for a lot of people out of that. Exactly. And um, yeah, Neil, Howe, um, Neil Howe's book, The Fourth Turning, and I forget the name of the second author, um, f- yeah, fabulous work. The, the main point with that is that we live in 80 to 100 year cycles. And with that are mm-hmm. 20 to 25 year cycles, many smaller cycles. 100 years ago today, I mean, you, we went through a global pandemic just like we are now. We had yeah. um, the uh, populism was huge. We had the, you know, you look at, you had Bolshevism in Russia. You had the collapse of the um, Turkish, em- uh, Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire. We went through these major, major shifts a hundred years ago to the date. Um, and then we launched, um, not long after that, the uh, um, Bretton Woods institutions came not long after that. So we are on the verge of a huge reset and a really good Twitter handle to follow is, is Willem Middlecoop. He actually wrote a book called The Big, uh, the Big Reset uh, a few years ago. So we are on the verge of a brand new hundred year cycle. So huge, huge changes. And people are thinking, oh, the world's literally gone to hell. But to me, um, the analogy is the Australian bush. The Australian bush is designed to burn. It burns terribly, but the regrowth is beautiful. So that's where we are now. Yes, we're in the shits, but give it a decade, a couple of decades, we're on the verge of a brand new cycle, you know, in the scope of human civilization, basically. And yeah, Bitcoin will be a key part of that. It would be really interesting to see what this reset is. I mean, was it the IMF who came out last week who said, prepared for, we're talking about a new Bretton Woods and, was it the world economic war? Yeah, the, a new Bretton Woods is required. I mean, I think what's interesting is that, especially if you track these CBDCs, is that I think we've got two resets going on. There is the potential reset by the centralised elites and government powers, central banks, whereby uh, they they want the CBDCs and, and there's going to be a, a lot of, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of volatility in the markets. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money and be in very difficult positions. And then we've got this other reset where a group of people are putting their faith in this decentralized form of money that has two very simple rules in that there's 21 million coins and uh, every four years the the emission schedule cuts in half. And rather than have um, what we have now, which is a few people in the room making decisions for millions... And, uh, and and trying to trying to make everything work for everyone else, we have a decision where there's basically two sets of rules and uh, two rules in this system. Well, I mean, I know there's more, but you, you know what I mean. The monetary policy is two rules, and we all have to fit around that, and we all have to make that work for us. And therefore, it puts the incentive on everybody else to create the life they want, rather than on these people in a room to try and create the lives for everyone else. Which, when you think about it, is a much fairer system. Which will win, though, the CBDCs or the Bitcoin? Yeah, that's the uh, million. That's the twenty-one million dollar question. 
I, I think it's mm -hmm. fascinating. I mean, we're all permabulls, we're all uh, Bitcoin people here, but um, I think obviously the 21 million is, is extremely important. But the fact that you can hold your own money, the fact that you can have custody of your own money, to me is, is, is sort of incredible because, you know, at some stage, who knows? Who knows when? You know, it could be two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. There will be some pushback to Bitcoin. And it, it's not going to be forever. I think all of us are, are, are long-term bullish on Bitcoin. And you can't ban Bitcoin. You can't ban Bitcoin from the layer zero of the protocol, but you certainly can buy, ban Bitcoin from the merchant adoption, the on-ramps, the off-ramps, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So there probably will be some short-term pushback on Bitcoin. Yes, people can use a circular economy and, and whatnot, but getting in and out of Bitcoin might be difficult. And it really comes down to this, what you guys have been talking, the central bank uh, digital currencies. They're going to be competing now. Um, maybe Bitcoin sort of isn't at that level yet, but certainly when you know PayPal gets into the game, which they already have, it's, it's just justification for how all of this is going. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating to see, for example, you know, with all this unemployment and COVID and, and the next crisis, they're talking about a cyber pandemic where people are attacking the um, power plants and the, the power grids of countries. And that's, that could potentially affect Bitcoin as well. So yeah, I, I think it's fascinating to see yeah. uh, uh, where these attacks come from. There's a couple of interesting things to pick up on there. Um, you know, when we talk about the 21 million and you also talked about PayPal, I'm not sure if you saw this week that thing where PayPal are buying up 70% of newly minted coins uh, just to, to support the demand from within their platform. And we already knew Cash App were uh, buying up 40% of coins. We also have Robin Hood um, on board and we're going to have more players coming into the market. And there's a really interesting chart, chart that Brady, Brady Swanson, Brady Swanson, I think, put out, Citizen Bitcoin, where he was showing the amount of... Um, Bitcoin that's being held on chain right now, uh, sorry, on exchanges is dropping quite heavily. So we're going to see a supply shock at the moment. There's going to get to a point where someone like Cash App and PayPal need to buy in Bitcoin and, and it's not available. Um, for, well, I mean, it is available, but the, the, it's, there's going to be a supply shock. So they're going to have to be kind of, I mean, I don't know how it works in terms of how they you know, source their Bitcoin, but um, PayPal can just change the numbers on a screen though. Well, they can't really because all their all their Bitcoin is backed. So they're buying through, pa I don't know if you know, they're buying through Paxos. So theirs is all actually backed. Yeah, Paxos. And they need to do that. Um, but, it, but we're going to see a supply shock. This is, this is why when some people talk about, oh, Bitcoin could go to 200,000, 300,000, they're like, yeah, no, it can't. It's like, no, it can. It really can if there's a supply shock, if there's not enough supply available and people are wanting to buy it. So I think... I think we're close to seeing a, a crazy season where everything where everything just it's interesting but goes a bit crazy. The CBDC thing will be really interesting and, and especially relating to government because we say about will they ban it. I think the chances of Bitcoin now being banned, for example, in the United States is close to zero now um, for a couple of reasons. So many companies invest, invested money in it. So many people hold so much money in it. I think it's almost... Um, it's it's almost too difficult for the government to ban it because they'll face huge litigation and um, huge issues with people saying no, this is not you can't you can't just ban this. Um, I think you see an uprising because of that. And I also think a moat's being built around it. But also interestingly, you've got you know, uh, um, Senator Loomis uh, in Wyoming, who's now a Bitcoiner. Um, you've got Brian Brooks, the uh, OCC guy. Uh, they've just was I saw like a change in regulation or something this week to do with 
banks not being able to prevent crypto companies uh, having accounts or something. I have to dig into the detail. But actually, uh, uh, this is going up the food chain in terms of people who actually support Bitcoin. So I'm less worried about a ban these days. I'm not worried. I'm just, I just believe in the stupidity of some governments. I think they'll try it though. Um, <laughs> yeah, you might be right. So on a practical it. note, Peter, what, I mean, we're approaching mm-hmm. all time now. And for anyone listening to this, this is November 22nd. We're approaching 20,000. Uh, for people listening to this who are your friends or family and people who have been texting you on Facebook, whatever, and they're like, should I buy Bitcoin now? What's your, what's your response? Yes. It's just fucking yes. And do you know what? The funny thing is, uh, going all in is just, I think you it's it's a risky thing for people to do. Um, it's a kind of scary thing to do. I would be saying to them, look, what what the first thing you need to do is understand why on a long enough time frame, Bitcoin is always going up in value. And that's about understanding the scarcity. Once you've got your head around that, I would be saying, look at the charts and understand why over the next decade, Bitcoin could go to a million dollars for Bitcoin. It could. could definitely go above 100,000, but could go to a Like, get your head around that. If you then understand that, then start buying it at a rate that you're happy with. That might be $100 a week or $1,000 a month. But have that intention now. And like, that's one of the big changes I've had for me is that I used to buy it here or there. Like, I'm just buying it all the time now. I'm just like, I get it, finally. I was like, whatever happens, whatever price I pay over this next you know, month or two, it's going to be really low compared to where the price will go. Um, so that's what I say to people. But if you can, sometimes you can't convince people and they have to miss out. My whole life, I've never bought gold. I missed out on gold opportunities my whole life and so be it. Um, but at the same time, you can't worry about everyone. People have just got to make their own decisions. If your bitcoins are on an exchange or mobile wallet, you could lose them in this bull run. Coincompass.com is running a free one-hour webinar on Sunday, 6 December 2020, where you can learn about cold storage, multi-sig, and best practices for securing your Bitcoin. Become a self-sovereign custodian of your investment by owning, not renting, your Bitcoins. To register and for more details, visit coincompass.com forward slash webinar. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, I've been trying to educate people about Bitcoin for a few years now. Um, And to me, the key thing in understanding Bitcoin is understanding macroeconomics and finance. And when most people hear all the government's... um, you know, these handouts, COVID handouts, people, a lot of people still don't understand that, hang on, that's your money. You're a taxpayer. When the government spends money, they're spending your money. You have to pay it back. And now we're hearing in um, economic circles about a debt jubilee for G8 nations. It's like, are you serious? Like, cause I did some work with mm-hmm. um, the United Nations and NGOs and we were working on a debt jubilee for highly indebted poor countries where debt was forced upon them. And now it's like, oh, no, we in G8 nations, we basically spent more than we could borrow for a lifestyle. We can't pay it back, so let's forgive ourselves. So all this kind of background for people to understand helps them truly appreciate Bitcoin and the fact that it is purely democratic. It's purely market force. It's, it's, no one's intervening in the price of Bitcoin. There's no you know, Bitcoin plunge protection team and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I heard about this um debt jubilee thing i I didn't look into it but i was just like oh come on like the one thing that's really started to annoy me about governments um recently is that you i you know the three of us we have to you know balance our books and if we choose to borrow money say we want to buy a house we have to pay that back and if we don't we go bankrupt and we face the consequences 
there's no consequence for government. They just borrow more, print more. Yeah, we have limits to what we can borrow as well. Yeah, if we really get in trouble, yeah, get to the point where if you can't pay your mortgage, you can't borrow more because they won't lend you more. Like, if you think about it, if if the if if somebody was lending the government money based on their track record of of uh, responsibility and paying back, they'd, they'd be considered a poor borrower. You wouldn't lend them money; they'd have a poor credit score. Um, and it's it's really it's really shit because what's going to happen is a, a lot of people I think going to get cut out on this. We you know we hear about things like you know, high inflation in Lebanon and Venezuela, and, and we think of in these faraway countries of you know Venezuela is a authoritarian state and Lebanon is just one of those like weird little countries you you don't know in the Middle East you think you know about where it is but you don't know a lot about it oh yeah there's still real people there who having their entire savings wiped out you know I've met people I went to Venezuela I met people and, and, and I know people have had their savings wiped out and people think this can't happen to them now it might not happen the same way in places like Australia and the UK and America you know we might not see hyperinflation but we might see high inflation yeah, you might see four, five percent regularly, and I don't think people really realise the impact that that has on them. Um, and that's an important thing to teach people as well. I couldn't agree more. I've been to Beirut twice, and um, the first time I was there, I had a huge culture shock because you're seeing this huge disparity of wealth. Like you are seeing, you know, some people on the street, uh, handicapped, begging for just crumbs to eat, and then you'll see the you know latest Lamborghini drive past them. And this is something that we are actually starting to see in places like America and other countries is what they're calling the K recovery, where it's not a V-shaped recovery. It is um, two recoveries. The wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer. And what you're talking about before, Peter, so if you wanted to buy shares in Apple, you a, would um, earn an income, have to pay taxes on that income, pay for your bills, pay for your home loan, and then with whatever money's left over, you buy shares in Apple. Central banks, like the Swiss Central Bank, is literally printing Swiss francs, sending them to America and buying shares of Apple. That makes the price go up, and it makes it harder for every other day people to invest in the stock market because this is what's yeah. happening. These national banks are printing money, buying shares in the stock market, and it is creating an even huger disparity of wealth. Yeah, and 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 and. Yeah, sometimes I'm a little bit dismissive of hyper-Bitcoinization. I'm like, yeah, but it's not really going to happen, blah, blah. And then I, you know, somebody will tell me something like what you've told me. Then I was like, no, we need this. We need this because we have an unfair system at the moment. We do. We have a system that's completely unfair. Um, and, you know, the money is the basis of how we interact with people. You know, it's the basis of a lot of relationships, you know, outside of personal relationships. Like the basis of our relationships is money. And if you're fighting and if you're playing a game with one arm tied behind your back or both it's, it just creates a really unfair situation um and the people who the people who cheat the system most face the least consequences you know it's always the person at the bottom who face the biggest consequences if you go back to the 2008 financial crisis which you can you know there's there's no real one reason why that happened there's a lot of reasons why that happened and they're in they're wrapped up in politics incompetence and greed i think um and people blew up the global economy they essentially blew up the global economy 10 percent of people uh, unemployment in the u.s hit 10 percent you know trillions like was it eight trillion dollars of wealth wealth was lost your know, pension funds blew up 
people lost their businesses. They they didn't do anything wrong. This was all the fault of the people. This is the fault of the politicians with their stupid policies. And this is the fault of the um, the the greedy people on Wall Street who who created essentially these ticking time bombs in um, uh, credit default swaps and um, mortgage-backed securities. Now, we just have to get to a more fair system. Um, and that's that's why my conviction in Bitcoin is, yeah, even now, three years after, four years after I got into it, is growing even more. Yeah, everyone says, oh, this time's different. This time's definitely different. It's not like 2008 or that kind of stuff. But for the first time in history, like you don't have to convince the people in Venezuela that you've met Peter or Argentina or whatever, like the need for, for a store of value. But in Western countries, Western countries, yeah, we've got credit cards, bank cards, whatever. It's like, you know, what, what do I need this? I can just pay. What do I need to buy coffee with Bitcoin? I can pay with my credit card or whatever. But I think now with the unemployment, with, um, you know, people are sort of looking at these stimulus packages and like, hang on, where, where's this money coming from? The government's printing it. How's it being distributed? We are actually seeing people wake up to this. And so famous last words. I think this time is actually different now. They can certainly kick the can down the road, you know, maybe another 10 years, they'll keep on print money or whatever. But, you know, in, in musical chairs, the music will stop at some time. And, you know, we just don't have enough money. You can only bail out the banks and big businesses for, for so many times. So that's why I think this time is, is, is fascinating. It is. But I don't underestimate how scary it could get, how complicated this could get, because... Um, it's like Michael Saylor said, he was sitting on a melting ice cube. Like the world is. There, there, are, there are a lot of issues. And I'd, you, you say people say people are waking up. Not enough people are. I think most people think these gov- the government just has money and the government writes you a check and it's all okay. And they don't really understand the consequences of it. I mean, I, I talk to my friends about it and a lot of them don't really understand it. They think the government has its own money. They don't realise it's, it's our money. They think the government has its own money. Um I think it's gonna. There's gonna be a shock to the systems of a lot of people. Um, certainly next year. I mean, we've had so many big chains of shops go bust, go under, and now look, other companies have grown and done well. We know Zoom did very well out of this, but yeah, and the economy moves. But there's a lot of people who are going to be out of work next year when these furlough schemes end. I think it's gonna be quite scary, and I don't underestimate how bad it could get. Not to be, not to be a really negative norman about things no i think you're not being negative you're definitely being pragmatic and this is the problem like if you told someone here's what's going on in the world we have a global shutdown when we have a global interlinked consumer-based economy no one's moving like and stock markets are at all-time highs like how does that compute and it doesn't people are going to look at this like what the fuck were you people thinking (laughs) none of this adds up so I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and um, we could go forward, go forward 150 years. This is just going to, this period now is just going to be something in the uh, history books, right? Or the, might, even, might not even be books by then, but you know what I mean by saying in, in the history books, you know, well, there was a period where governments issued all the money and they printed what they want and, and they kept making people poor. It's like, whoa, that's such a weird time. Because we might be in a completely different place where we had the the money rev- like we've had the you know, industrial revolution and we've had the yeah the the digital revolution and some in some ways we've had the data revolution we might have the money revolution that might be a period where the money changes globally and and that fixes 
a lot of the problems in the world. Um, because, I mean, I, you hear this Bitcoin fixes this. You can certainly see how it plays out. Um, you can certainly see a, a scenario where Bitcoin does fix a lot of problems. Because most of our problems, I do think, are government-created. Like the big issues. Wars are government-created. You know, the war machine is government-created. Um, I think a lot of poverty is government-created. Um, and that's not to say... I don't, I don't know how the scenario changes because, yeah, there could be a shift when we have a shift in the money. There could be a lot of poverty that comes out of this, and if there's no government to try and dig people out, I, I don't know this, how that kind of pans out. But it's certainly a fascinating time. Are you annoyed with uh, Bitcoiners, especially Bitcoin maxis, who keep on talking about these Bitcoin citadels? Well, it's funny. Yes and no. Like sometimes I. I'm, I I know Bitcoin Maxis get annoyed with me because I'm not always on the same page as them with regards to um, the way they see the world. Uh, it's just it's just how it is. When I hear about these Bitcoin citadels or hyper Bitcoinization, most of the time I I laugh things off. But then I spend time thinking about it. I can say, okay, I can see how that happens. I can see the scenario that happens. If Bitcoin does become the gravity that starts sucking up a lot of the money, and then you realize this is the best form of money, then you can see a scenario where the government even if the government can tax your Bitcoin because they've got guns, they can't print it anymore. So in the end, they have to they have to have a limit what they can do. So it's like, holy shit, the government will become smaller or non-existent. Okay, if the Bitcoin becomes the government becomes smaller or non-existent, well, people are going to still require security. Perhaps they will end up living in these citadels. I, I mean, I think the citadels are more likely to be private cities than you know some weird kind of castle on top of a mountain with a big barrier around that a few people live inside but i can see how it happens i can see the idea of free private cities becoming a thing sooner than later yeah i i completely agree i i can see bitcoin citadels being these free floating uh you know what do they call it the seasteading you know those those guys who are out there on the oceans you know yeah. uh, on these floating pontoons so so bitcoin cures cancer it fixes poverty it gets rid of government is there anything else that bitcoin can do um oh. or what can, what can it do what what can't bitcoin do let's get practical what can't bitcoin do i mean it, i don't know it's a, it's a it's a strange question what can't it do i mean i can't i don't think it can f fix human flaws in terms of greed um and hatred <laughs> and uh i don't think it yeah i don't think it takes violence away from the human it, it takes the, the money to exert violence by the state if the state is defunded but you're still gonna have violent humans you know if you move into a different basis like structure of society you're still gonna have violent humans want to steal from each other who want to fight each other want to hurt each other yes that's human nature and it can't change yeah a lot of um anarchists or libertarians um their kind of idea is they want to get away from they, they, they they're more individualists rather than uh, collectivists but the problem is our human human nature is to is to work in groups you know we form around groups and the reason we've done that historically is because because the individual on their own is vulnerable uh and that's you you can scale that up in terms of like states 
you know, the smaller states, the less weaponized states, were always more vulnerable to the bigger ones. And we kind of stay on that now because of like nuclear war, but you can still see how you know, bigger states can be threatened into smaller states. So we, I think we have to understand and accept that humans will organize themselves into groups um, and may be violent, and that might still happen in a big hyper-Bitcoinization world. I don't think not everyone's going to adhere to the non-aggression principle. I think even in anarchistic societies, they'll form communities and sort of groups and, okay, well, let's all chip in $5 a month to pay for someone's security, blah, blah, blah. And then you've sort of recreated sort of what the government does. And then that group gets a little bit bigger and you create rules and you're like, hang on, how did we just become a state again? So it's a, yeah. it's a vicious cycle. Well, we don't have a, any functioning example of a true free anarchist society. Liberland. Well, yeah. Did that ever happen? But it's not really happened, right? What we have is uh, various forms of um, uh, democracies and or, or dictatorships, and some trying to be one and they look like the other. Um, states always end up being created, and there is, must be a reason for that. Um, my assumption is it's because it's human nature to organise around you know, groups and, and defend yourself. Like We are violent as humans, and I think to be able to build a group and defend yourself against others is is natural. I, I, I think the problem is, and, and this is going off topic, I don't mean to, but um, I agree with the concept of anarchism, but it's all about the implementation. So it's like, in theory, it sounds good, you know, rainbows, unicorns, that kind of stuff. But it's like, how do you implement it? Like, how do we go from this society that we've got currently, this state, to that system? And uh, I can't sort of see how that happens. But no, anyway, but I agree. I think theoretically it's, it's great. It makes absolute sense. I mean, only a moron would argue against it. So what you're saying is we want to have a free society where no one can uh, exert violence or, or coercion over another, where anyone, any interaction is voluntary. Like all these kind of concepts, only a moron or a psychopath or a control freak would argue against it. But then we have to come back to um, you know, human nature, once that happens, we're still gonna, you know, we're still gonna have haves and have not, and violent people and people who want more, and we're still gonna have that's still gonna happen. So we're still gonna require defense of some kind, whether it's individual or you know, in, in groups uh, uh, with private uh, defense contractors supplying it in a you know competitive market. That I don't know. And also getting there, you're right. It just might be a slow transition. That's the thing. It just might be something that's just a slow transition over time. And I think the best we could probably hope for is small government. Like I'd love to see sort of local, instead of having, you know, a federal sort of government, you know, a couple of people deciding for the millions, uh, let's create small government. Anyway, I know, I completely Farris, save us for... No, I think... Farris, save us no, no, for... No, this is really interesting. And look, I, I don't think we're going off topic. I think this is really interesting. This is the beauty of Bitcoin is we get into these conversations that most of the time people ignore. You just don't have the time to think about. And... Like what are you talking about before, um, Peter? Why do we form these groups? And um, when I studied politics, we did study Marxism and communism. And one thing that Marx got wrong was he actually pre presumed that we would have fewer governments, that nationalism would, would die. Um, and I think the role of government is health and safety. That's what that's what they should limit themselves to, health and safety. Um and I know we talk about, gosh, the world's going to shit. It feels terrible. But the reality is the world is becoming a more and more peaceful place. It's actually becoming a better place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, interstate war is on the decline. Terrorism is on the decline. 
And I think it's amazing that every year we will have these sporting events where people compete nationally representing our country. And it's fantastic. It's just such a great atmosphere. So what we're finding is, and this is what I'm keen to explain to people in this next Bitcoin bull run, is understanding decentralization, where finance is the next frontier where, as you said, it has been controlled by the elite. And talking about the fourth turning, 100 years ago, when this, you know, we had the stock market crash, 1929 stock market crash. So if you lived in America at the time, um, you were heavily invested in the stock market because only the wealthy could invest in real estate. You had to provide a 50% deposit and pay off the rest within five years. So what FDR did was he allowed people to invest in real estate so they weren't just exposed to the stock market. I've since heard that one of the reasons he did this was he felt that if it was to discourage people from joining political movements like communism, because if a man had a home loan, he would stress about paying that back and would not have the time to affiliate himself with other um, political forces. Wow. So I think this is where we are now with Bitcoin is we're like, okay, the elite have controlled money. And as you said, money is part of everyone's life and you need it. You know, it's something we need. Bitcoin is now saying, just like when we had the separation of church and state, you know, the establishment of democracies, human rights. Bitcoin is the next stage where we are freeing and making open and public finance, fi financial control. Because to this day, half the world's adult population cannot get a bank account. How in the world are they supposed to compete in a global economy when they can't even open a bank account? And Bitcoin fixes that. Yes, it does. It does in some ways. Although, hmm, do I think, yeah, a lot of people who can't get a bank account, do I think they can suddenly then get into Bitcoin and suddenly have the method and means of, of creating a business? I don't, I don't think, I know what you mean about bank accounts, but I, I don't see it. I see that as a later problem solved. I don't think technically we're, we're at that point and I don't, I, yeah, I've not, I'm not convinced on that, that exact issue right now because yeah, I've been to, I've traveled around a lot and I don't think suddenly having Bitcoin change it. People kind of bank account suddenly changes their ability to do business. Now these people still have ways of hustling a business wherever they are. Um, yeah. I understand where you're going with that. I'm just not sure I completely. Yeah, I, um, I did some work in microfinancing. And to okay. me, this is brilliant because unfortunately, I mean, having, worked, yeah, having worked in the aid industry itself, the middlemen and the NGOs probably cause more harm than good. And you know, I really <laughs> hate saying that, but a lot of people agree with me. Um, so with Bitcoin, um, yeah, microfinancing has been a huge solution to a lot of um, impoverished people. And Bitcoin is just the means, and we are a long way away, but it's an easy way of getting capital to someone. And with that capital, they can then leverage off of it. Well, that's why um, that's why a lot of governments like the CBDCs as well, because that's a very easy way of getting capital to people, um, which itself to me is like some weird dystopian, scary future where we have no control over the money. But no, look, I don't disagree. I just, I don't know. I just don't know what the steps are. And I don't know if this is like a... 10 year thing migration or is this is a 50 year thing it's probably more the latter um but i think we do get there eventually yeah so on the, on the decentralization theme and i just listened today to your uh, episode with um 
Adam Curry. Oh, great. Huge fan of uh, No Agenda. Absolutely awesome. And I'm going to try and get Adam on a podcast. Are there any other decentralized technologies that you're interested in? Or are you just, you know, use whatever technology works sort of thing? No, I'm just interested in Bitcoin right now. I mean, I like, hmm. I mean, I still like uh, BitTorrent. I always thought that was a cool and interesting project. Um, but I'm, if you're talking about other cryptocurrencies or tokens, no, I've, there's nothing out there. Not so much. Well, we're, we're Bitcoin only here as well. But even yeah. stuff like, uh, like I experiment on it, even stuff like Lightning Chat or, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Is there anything else you play? No, because you know why? It's also experimental at the moment. And I tend to live in the world where I care about the stuff that's mainstream ready. That's what I care about. Um, you know, Bitcoin is mainstream ready now. We have the wallets and the tools and you know, the education resources available that people can can then le- they can learn pretty quickly and get on board. Um, I find a lot of the more technical things, such as BTC Pay Server, Lightning Network, whenever I go and look at them, it's just a little quite fiddly. It's quite technical, and so I just don't think they're you know, ready for mass market yet. And it's, it's, it really pisses people off this because they're like they expect me to or they want me to care about these things but the point i'm always trying to make is like the reason i don't care is I, like i care about i care about the mass market right i care about the yeah i make my show for all the people who are going to be coming in in the next week not the people who've been in for six years who who want to run electron wallet alongside tor browser and you know connected to their cold card like that's those there are very few people who can deal with that. I deal with the people who are just like, I want some Bitcoin. How do I get it? And how do I look after it? Um, I'm interested in the, the, the later technologies when they are, they're, they're probably in a place that's a lot easier to use. And a few of these things now, I just, no, I just, I just don't think they're ready. That's not to mean, by the way, they're not cool. And it doesn't mean I don't support the, the devs. I think some people do some brilliant work. I'm just more interested in like the, the simpler side of things. I can agree with you more. And um, yeah, when we ran our first um, basically seminars, webinars, just showing people how do you buy Bitcoin? How do you get it off an exchange? We always get questions. Tell us about mining. And that's the hardest thing to explain simply to people. And to me, it's like, okay, you get on a plane, you know the basics of how a plane works. It's just engine and wings to find gravity. You know, do you know how to fly a plane? Are you an engineer? To me, that's why it said to people, there are so many things about Bitcoin you don't need to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, mining, and we've looked into light, lightning, I think is fa- fascinating. Gordon's explained that to me and we wrote about it. But um, yeah, same thing. It's like, yeah, you just need the, the broad strokes here. If you get into the weeds, it will just turn you off of anything. Yeah. But like, it's great for those who do want to get into that. Like, it's brilliant. Um, it's just not for me. You know, I have very simple need for Bitcoin and I want to keep it simple. And I think there is a listener base who are very similar. And like I said, I know it pisses people off and I'm, I'm really sorry it does, but I'm, it's just the way it is. And you're right. And this is something that, so people that have been in Bitcoin for several years now, their knowledge base is way over here where they're talking about um, adoption rates, new technology, merchant technology, all this kind of stuff, like multi-sig wallets, which is common lingo for most for people. But everyone over here, it's like they still don't even understand that you can buy a fractional of a Bitcoin. Yeah. They're thinking, I don't have $20,000 to buy a Bitcoin. And here everyone's talking leaps and bounds ahead. So there's still this huge knowledge gap, which is actually expanding. So that's where 
Our focus is Bitcoin basics. Just get in. Here's how you get in. You just need to know the basics. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. And I, you know, I, I um, rigidly stick to that as well, despite the flack and the, 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 the fact that other kind of more technical people take issue with it. But I rigidly stick to that because it has to be simple to use. Um, and and in, the, in the most it is. Like in the most it is. Um, but no, I agree. Yeah, with our, our um, taglines, no buzzwords, uh, no bullshit, I think. Isn't it, Ferris? Something like that. Short and sweet. I think it's our tagline now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I'm, I was just curious as to your dip your toes in the water for this, all this decentralized technology because it's not ready for prime time. It's totally experimental. All this stuff is like, all you have to do is download this package from blah, blah, blah website um, type in these commands on the command line in Linux and uh, you're away and running. It's like, what What? what just happened then? Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, I, I find it fascinating, but uh, I'm a little bit strange in that uh, <laughs> in that sense. And also the, the, the UI, the UX, or what we call um, user experience is uh, absolutely horrible. So um, I think uh, people sticking to Bitcoin is probably a good thing. And even Lightning, Lightning's been around for a while and it's definitely still experimental. So here's a question for both of you, actually. Would you take the vaccine? Yeah, the time of that question is really interesting because I took my son out earlier to go to the shop and I bumped into my neighbor and she uh, she's a vet. And I was chatting to her and she was with her friend and I was saying about the... Um, I was saying about the new vaccine. I was like, would you take it? And she was like, oh, we're just talking about that. I was like, yeah, because I've heard like it's RNA and they fuck with your DNA. And her friend started talking about it like quite a bit. And I was like you know a lot about this and she's a um immunologist um and i was like what about the concerns and she was like look there aren't there will be a lot of people who will make wild claims about potential she's like there's really almost nothing to worry about this you know i, I this is my job i do it and i was like oh that's reassuring i know what's going to happen though i'll end up reading something on twitter about like someone will show a picture of someone's foot's falling off or something and saying oh this is what happens with rna um i most likely will take a vaccine i've taken so many vaccines in my life to travel as a kid my kids have had vaccines we're all fine i will probably take a vaccine and get called a sheep for it but uh i will no the reason i ask is um yeah gordon he's got very interesting views on this and um i don't know if you feel free to share those gordon but we've had pretty cool conversations about it Oh, no, I, I just find uh, arguments like this uh, a nuance, like a, people are like black and white. You're either a pro-vaxxer or anti-vaxxer. It's like I've taken every vaccine sort of under the sun um, when I was a kid, and there was nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, what are the big three? The rubella, measles, measles mumps, rubella. maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's the three, MMR. Yeah, and, and, and I've taken a couple other vaccines for travel and that kind of stuff. So it's like... Um, I think if you are hesitant about taking the vaccine, you oh, you're like an anti-vaxxer sort of thing. It's like, no, I mean, I'm going to wait. I'm going to sort of see what happens and people start dropping dead and that kind of stuff. I probably won't take it, but, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research it. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a wait and see kind of person. Hmm. Well, we, we, we will have to. I mean, we won't be the first, all the old people to get it first anyway. Yeah, I think it'd be a while. I think people are like, you know, uh, not everyone's going to get it all at once. It's going to be a while. So, yeah. 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 Um, thanks for putting me in that, Faris. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. 
Um, well, that's about it from me. Peter, do you have any questions for us or is there anything you'd like to get off your chest or? No, apart from the fact I've got a bad back and I've got shooting pains down my legs. So I've been like really holding it in, but I've been, tr- you know what, during this um, lockdown, I've been really working hard on my fitness. I gave up drinking, gave up coffee, I work out every day and I put my back out yesterday and it's just like, uh, and I was like, so I was lay- laid up on the couch and I forgot about this interview and I got the alert on my phone. I was like, oh shit. I'm not going to cancel 10 minutes before, but I've just basically sat here with like gritting teeth going through it. So there's me with my bad back, you with the flu. I mean, but no, look, always good to talk to you guys. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, are things going well? Yeah, I'm other than the flu. I'm in New Zealand and um, we kind of feel very distant to what's going on in the rest of the world. It's kind of life as normal as here, especially where I am in the South Island. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, here's what it is. It's been a weird year. At some point, I'll be on your side of the world and perhaps we can all have a beer. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's sometimes hard to see the forest from the trees. We sort of get distracted by all this stuff. But, um, yeah, it's good to sort of reflect and look at big picture stuff. And, you know, it's not all about vaccines and doom and gloom. You know, there is some, there's some light of the tunnel and, and there's some good things that have come out of this um, this uh, period as well. I mean, hopefully we're spending more time with the families and sort of reassessing priorities and mm. values and what's important in life, what's not important. And hopefully uh, we all stick to that once we get out and about. And Bitcoin's gone up nearly $300 during this interview. <laughs> all right. We better so go. We better get up. Now. Yeah. Well, that's something interesting that I read and noticed is that it seems to be pumping during US hours. Interesting. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, and we've been talking about this for a while. So our my concern early on is just um because Bitcoin was highly correlated to the SP five hundred. And it was these day traders, like on Robin Hood and all this kind of stuff. People were just day trading Bitcoin. But now I'm like, okay, we are past that. So I think we will get some volatility, we'll get some swings, but yeah, just buy the dip. Mm, interesting. But yeah, yeah have I your can, limit orders in place. All <laughs> yeah. cost average people, don't put your life savings into it. Set up uh, one of the dollar cost averaging services that we've mentioned and probably Peter, your audience as well. So uh, get in every week, every month, whatever, make it regular. Don't stress. Get off zero. That's, that's mine. Get off zero, man. Get off zero. <laughs> well, um, to save your back and your leg, Peter, we'll let yeah. you go. All right, guys. Well, listen, good to see you uh, as ever. And uh, yeah, just stay in touch, man. We'll do this again in a few months. Hopefully Bitcoin will be an all-time new high and uh, we'll all be smiling. Well, how about Thank we you, don't Peter. meet in a particular place and time? Let's just meet at 50,000. <laughs> oh, let's do it. All right, I'm in, man. I'm in. We're in at 50,000. You ping me an invite when 50,000 happens. Peter, this has been a real treat. We will keep in touch. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks again, Peter. Cheers. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.